Um, and, and I think a lot of that gets destroyed in this process. And, and what ends up coming out of it, again, is where it's really, really good at churning out stuff, but stuff that potentially is even less aligned than before with things that are actually meaningful to the business. I mean... Welcome to 33 Tangents, a weekly podcast featuring a rotating panel of co-hosts that all work together in the same company, but live in different areas of the world. The discussions cover a wide variety of topics from digital analytics to working remotely to current happenings in business and technology. Our regular day-to-day conversations often go off in various directions, and the goal of this podcast is to share our ideas and find new ways to engage with others. So what's going on? I'm trying to caffeinate myself. I don't know where my coffee went. I got some uh, some sort of McDonald's beverage. I'm uh, I need I need cardio. I need cardio, and uh, I'm I'm coming up tomorrow on week two of an of this ankle injury. It's really frustrating. So oh no, yeah, I got to get back on the bike or something. Mm-hmm. So I'm dragging a bit. Sorry, low energy today. Yeah, no worries, no worries. I'll, I'll try to fire you up. I'll try to get you going. I'll, I'll try. I'll try to find what buttons to push. Um, I've been following yours and Madsen's lead on the the whole cold shower thing. Oh, did you? Yeah, I've been doing it for like two and a half weeks now, and it's it's interesting. Um, the like afternoon, like. The afternoon, like after about a week and a half of it, my afternoon feels so much different. Mm. I still have like a cup of coffee in the afternoon because I enjoy it, but like the afternoon brain fog has gone away, believe it or not. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, I just, uh, I did a a cold one this morning. I'm going to have to get out my thermo pen. Uh, I don't know if it's the right thing to measure, but I've got like a a, a accurate culinary uh, digital thermometer um, because... I've, I've noticed, I don't know if there's something wrong with my shower or if I've acclimated, but it's just not cold anymore. Like, it's cold, but it's not that, like, shock you can't breathe cold in anymore. I'm like, what's oh, yeah. happening here? Like, it, 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 It's the weirdest thing. Like, I, I know because so um, the, our, our shower ha- actually has a thermometer on it. Oh, it does it? a clock and a thermometer on it. And um, look at you, fancy. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's, we're, we're we're living with family right now, and that that was the you know the, the shower that they had installed when they remodeled the bathroom. Um, I'll, I'll tell you this: it, it, in many ways, and this is a complete other thing with like sustainability and whatnot. It is a bit overkill because it's just one more thing to fix and whatnot. But that's a whole other thing aside. But the um, the thermostat on the shower reads like. 75 and yet after a while like i'm gonna like, go a little bit lower because it's starting to feel warm mm-hmm. and it just it does something to you and um it just kind of it, it gets it, it kicks off some kind and i have to go back and read exactly it because it's been years so like years ago i read about it and i did it for a while and got out of the habit and then jason mentioned he was installing like a cold pool 
Like he got like one of these oh, really? things to have a cold plunge at his house. Yeah, and then yeah. You mentioned doing the cold shower thing, and then it was like, that's right. I do remember like the, there's health benefits to it. And yeah, one of the things for me is like better mental clarity throughout the yeah. day. Yeah, yeah. Well, that is awesome. But yeah, I've been feeling the same thing. Like when I first started, it was so cold. I couldn't breathe. It was like, <gasps> I couldn't take a full breath. It was so cold. But now I get in there, it actually, it feels warm. Yeah. I'm like, this is weird. It it's feels weird. warm. Yeah, you acclimate um, that much to it. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, and, but but also, as much as it's like overkill and things to maintain, uh, I, I am all in on like all the shower gadgets and... <laughs> <laughs> the 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 hotel room I had when we were in Vegas at the Marketing Analytics Summit. Was it the Marketing Analytics Summit? Yeah. Dude, that thing, that shower had like 12 shower heads on it. I didn't even know. It had so much stuff I didn't even know how to use it. But then it also had the steam setting so you could pump steam into the shower. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just amazing. And I'm like, I need all of this. <laughs> it's just... So awesome. My brother-in-law has the whole steam thing. Mm. So uh, they have that in the bathroom downstairs at their house. So, yeah, when I was up in Connecticut last weekend, I sh- sure made you know made sure to take advantage <laughs> of the, the steam shower. Yeah, the steam can be nice. So Yeah. Yeah. Wow. All right. And at this point, I don't know how we're going to pay. Yeah, and people are turning in. And it's like, well, uh, Jim well, and let's Jason just... are talking about showering. I don't even know what's happening yeah. here today. I'll, I'll tell you this, like if you're looking for a bit of a change, like, you know, change up your routine, there's just something about taking a cold shower over a hot shower. Like there's just, I don't know. I feel again, I, I don't have the, the brain fog in the afternoon. Yeah. No, it it's good. not. It's, it's, it's addicting. Yeah, it is. So, um, so let's just, let's just jump yeah, right in cold let's, let's into, into our topic. Um, so I want to continue the theme we've had for the past couple episodes around managing um, analytics teams and managing analytics programs. And this week in particular, I want to talk about a trend I've been seeing uh, a lot recently. And one I, I have some issues with. Um, it's the, the idea of using the agile development methodology and applying that to an analytics team. But not just applying it to what you would think of right away with those involved with the instrumentation for, of data collection, but just the overall analytics program in general. So this is you know analysts that are providing insights, um, looking to um, manage things in sprints and manage them in points, uh, all of the major aspects of, of Agile. Um, and I am by no means a scrum master, so, so don't crucify me if I don't, you know, name everything specifically correct, but just the overall concept of, of that idea of, of sprints and points are assigned to things and, you know, trying to clear out cards at the end of a sprint and, and measuring success ultimately too. what you, you know, what happens is, is you measure the success of the team on how many points are completed in a sprint, how many cards were closed out, how many cards were rolled over to the next sprint all of these various things go into the measurement of a team. Um, what, what, what does this, what, what does all of this mean? How, what have you seen as far as, as this movement to, to apply agile to, to analytics? Well, I hate it. Um, but, uh, I, I think, I think I've been educated that when done right, it's incredibly valuable and useful. 
So that's the short answer. Um, Interesting. And, and I think like like most things, we tend to um, we tend to blame the framework um, for good or bad um, based on our experiences. Um, rather than looking at the experiences themselves as far as how much they're influencing the, the framework, meaning you could have the greatest framework in the world, but you don't put the right people in place. You don't set the right expectations. You don't, you know, you don't run it properly and it's, it's a complete failure. Is it fair to blame the framework or not? And I think that that's been a lot of, of my, of my experiences with it. And I actually floated this out on Twitter uh, it's, it's been several months um, saying, man, I hate this. And I was shocked at how many people are like, well, you don't know what you're talking about. Let me let me give you some education. Uh, and it was great. You know, they they I, they really opened my eyes to the value that a properly run agile methodology can can be had from an analytics program perspective. With that said, the one common thread that ran through that advice was if you're going to try to take Agile as it was designed for uh, development teams and copy and paste it on top of analytics teams, you're, you're gonna, it's going to be an utter failure because those two teams operate in completely different ways. Um, and so it, it's one thing to, to use the framework. It's a whole other thing to use the framework and make sure that you uh, are adjust it to your specific team and, and their needs. So again... If you're treating an analytics team as if as if they're an engineering team, it's gonna fail. But if you take the core concepts of Agile and you apply it to the team to be able to manage workload and properly prioritize and set expectations with the business and kind of codify all that, it can be successful. And there were several people that shared case studies both that they were personally involved in or others in which Agile has been applied to uh, analytics programs in a, in a very successful, uh, and healthy way. So do you, do you have a couple, uh, examples or specific examples where it was just that copy and paste and maybe some of the, the aspects that caused it to fail as well as vice versa, where they made adjustments? Well, I think with most frameworks, most organizations take a copy paste approach. Um, and I think that's because the allure of using a framework like Agile or any other framework is that it takes a lot of the, that cognitive load off of us to think through how we properly structure and manage our, our teams. Um, and so we just apply it to the team and say, you know, do this thing now. And so I think, you know, that probably describes the majority of cases of how Agile is being used, not just in analytics, um, how it's being used uh, across the board. Um, and across all teams that, that leverage it. Um, the, the challenges that I've seen with it, specifically from uh, an analytics perspective, is, is there's a lot, but really two things that stand out. Um, one, I think it works really, really well, well when you have um, a clear set, excuse me, of requirements and, and tasks. Um, so anything more on the side of the spectrum that is architecture, implementation, data collection, integration, data warehouse, like any, anything that's kind of in that mindset, I think is a better, um, is a better component for using Agile because it, it kind of mimics to a degree a software engineering uh, project. And so from an implementation standpoint, 
I think you have a lot better of a alignment as long as you're open to being creative to uh, massaging how you use ag Agile to be uh, more in line with an analytics project than a software engineering project. I think it can it can work well. If not, um, it's it's very very challenging. However, it's the other side of the house that's really really hard. And that's more of the insights and analysis. Um, analysis, in and of itself, is uh, is an art of discovery. Um, you know, it's it's going out and just questioning things and looking at things and testing and poking and prodding at things. Um, and to put a arbitrary timeline, a week, two weeks, whatever it is, to do an analysis, you're you're artificially limiting um, the depth and value that an analysis can produce. Um, because analysis and, and analysis doesn't fit nicely into a sprint bucket. It just doesn't. Um, that type of work is not aligned with that. Um, now, somewhere in the middle, it may it may be a bit more fuzzy and gray. You know, can we align reporting and dashboards? Sure, maybe that's that's a better use case for for agile. But as we move further away from kind of the rule based things, so set up this report, uh, you know, build and execute this dashboard. Um, deploy this implementation. The further away we move from that to things of uncertainty, which analysis is, it's a, it's a practice in uncertainty, the harder it is to try to shove it into this agile methodology. That, so that's number one. Like, you know, trying to treat analysis as a sprint, I think is a losing game. And I just don't see a lot of upside to it. Reporting, dashboards, implementation, sure. We can, we can fit that into the framework. But, but something like analysis, um, kind of more strategic initiatives that just require unbound thinking, I think we're, we're, cutting, we're cutting our value short by trying to fit it uh, into an agile process. Yeah, and that was one of my concerns as I've started to, 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 to see this trend develop is that there's a risk with analysis where you're going to strip the curiosity out of the analyst because you're right like you the you it's hard to structure sometimes sometimes you just gotta you just gotta work with it you gotta play with it to be honest like you know so putting like a time bound thing on it like you know find an answer in this two-week sprint is is hard because yeah a lot of the organizations i've seen try to apply it they they apply like the copy and paste framework of i'm going to do this analysis in this two-week sprint but when maybe you learn more or whatnot, you know, it starts to, to stretch longer than that. And then depending upon who you have running it, like if it is a very, a, a, a scrum master that has like a very development heavy background, then everything starts get, getting measured on well. So-and-so is always behind on completing cards. They, they always go more than one sprint or, you know, however you want to word it. And it, it, it starts to become very narrow and draconian. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more. The, the second point, um, uh, as far as a challenge, and, and just as a tangent, you probably can't hear it, um, but speaking of acclimation, um, I grew up next to an Air Force base um, near the flight line, um, and I had become so acclimated to the sound of jets flying over my house, I didn't even phase me anymore. But since I moved away from there, and I don't hear F-16s all the time, whenever I hear them, I'm like, oh, what's going on? What's going on? Anyway, I have never had more jets over my house than when I lived by the Air Force Base and today. 
um, anyway, as President uh, Biden is in town, um, and I'm guessing it's part of the security detail of all these like F-16s flying overhead. It's gotcha. Wild. Okay. It's wild. Um, so the second thing is that, um, and this isn't specific to Agile. It's a it's a challenge. Anytime you put some sort of metric in place to measure the success of the team is it can always be gamed and, and there's always a risk of it, right? And so if, if we're using like the point system or whatever to talk about how great our analytics team is because we, you know, did X or Y, um, my immediate answer is so what, <laughs> you know, like, okay, like, you know, what, what value did we end up, what did we actually walk away with? Like, I don't care how many, you know, things we, I don't, again, I, I'm not a scrum master either, so I don't know the, the terminology. So I don't know if it's a points thing or whatever, like we add up to say how great we are, but it's just too easily gamed, right? And we've, I think we've talked about this on numerous episodes. The biggest real world example of this is a McDonald's or a Wendy's um, that has the timer, the drive-through timer in the, in the building. And there's some sort of metric they're being measured against that you can't have a car in the drive-through longer than X minutes. And so if you're going to go over that, what do they tell you? Pull up a little bit further. Yeah. Here. Just pull up here or go park over there. We'll bring it out to you. Boom. Reset the timer. Yeah. Right. And so it's like from the number standpoint, it's like, Oh, look, they're doing great. But from an output experience standpoint, it's like, we're not telling the full story here. So that's what my concern is when it comes to using Agile or any other framework to measure the success of the analytics team. If we're using those numbers to say, hey, look how great we're doing, it, it puts us at risk of either intentionally or unintentionally gaming those numbers and we lose track of the actual value we're supposed to be creating and the experience that we're creating for our counterparts in the business. I will tell you some, some of the positives that I've seen from it. Um, and again, it's, un, it's, I don't know, unfortunate is not the right word. I'm just not an expert on agile, so I don't have the right terminology to speak through it, speak about it in, in kind of the right terminology. But one of the things that inflicts so many analytics teams is being overwhelmed and overburdened with requests. I, you know, I think we've seen it in a good percentage of the companies we've worked with. We hear it from friends. We hear about it in, at industry conferences. You know, our teams are burned out because Everyone in the organization is excited about data and insights or their bosses are asking them for numbers so that they can put them in their report. And so the analytics team is just getting buried because these people are throwing it over the proverbial cubicle wall. Hey, I need this number. Hey, pull this for me. Hey, do this, do that. And there's no structure to it. And as an analyst, as someone building reports, you get burned out of that really, really quickly. Um, and, and if you're not and you manage it by just trying to turn it around quickly, we now start to put quality at risk um, because it's like, I just don't want any more stuff thrown on my pile. I'm just going to quickly get this out, even though it might not be right. Um, and so that is one place where I've heard from people where agile has been incredibly valuable is just adding some intake and structure. You know, there's a agreed upon cycle of when requests come in and how they get groomed and how they get prioritized for sprints and when they get worked on. Um, and so from an analyst perspective, having that level of just structure to what is being assigned to me and having some kind of a point system to um, articulate in numerical format a workload that I can take on, that's a huge thing for analysts that often feel overwhelmed and burned out. Yeah, you do bring up a good point there because 
Cause, and then, and I will fully admit, like, I guess maybe just because I've seen so many organizations go down this path and instead of, um, building it out in such a way that it, it really aligns with what the analytics team is trying to do and the value it can provide. It's just like, well, our development team does this, our, this team uses it, these other teams use it. So we're just going to use it all in the same way. Um, and it turns the analytics team into glorified ticket takers, but you're right. If done right and a proper intake queue can be built out, you can reduce the burden on the analysts. I, I, I do see that because maybe outside of agile, that is one thing I try to work with clients on is that w- w- what does intake look like? Because the majority of them, it's just emails. So they become, they, they become accustomed to just, you know, uh, last in first out or whoever's screaming the loudest and not like a proper priority set on it or, you know, evaluating what the value of the organization is. Yeah, and without straying too far off the main topic, I think a lot of that intake or lack of intake or feeling overwhelmed with requests being thrown over the wall, a lot of that honestly is self-imposed on on the analytics teams um, because they have failed to be proactive in nature, meaning if analytics teams would have put in the time to think about base reporting, to think about what's critical for um, or for the business units that they support to align the direction of what they're doing from a dashboarding perspective, um, and then being curious to proactively look at the data and provide insights and analysis. Because we haven't done that, then we've put ourselves in a position to be order takers, right? Like the business craves that data or they need that data or they're being told they need the data. We haven't been proactive in providing it to them. And so they have no other choice than to kind of bombard us with requests. So as much as I empathize with our fellow analysts that it's incredibly overwhelming to have these uh, things thrown on, especially without an intake process, I think it's important to note that a lot of it is self-imposed. And so I say that by saying if we can solve that with if we can solve the intake and prioritization process with Agile, that is awesome. But don't let's not let us solving that through agile um, pave over the fact that there was still an issue there that this was created by us by not by us not being proactive and providing the business proactively what they needed mm-hmm. um, you know we, we often talk about analytics not you know having having a seat at the the grown-up table you know we've used that analogy multiple times Um do you see this, you know, trying to move to this framework or comp- uh, teams adopting this framework, um, exacerbating that problem? Um, maybe. So I would say, again, it comes down to how we're leveraging this framework. If we're allowing the framework of Agile to uh, dictate the way that we engage with our counterparts in the business, I think it's going to further degrade and devalue our role within the organization. It's going to even push us down to the littler kids table. Um, mm-hmm. because and we that, are... that's my fear, by the way. Like that, uh, absolutely. That's, like, absolutely. I, I, I've said it earlier. I'll say it even clearer now. Like I definitely have a jaded view of this. Um, and that's part of the reason why it's good to talk it out because every time I've seen it applied, it turns the analytics team into nothing but glorified ticket takers. Yeah. And they become a glorified help desk and 
Exactly. I, yeah, it really reduces how they're seen within the organization. So the the maybe part of the the question that you asked is, yeah, if we're if we're using agile to fundamentally structure who we are as a team and it structures how we engage with our counterparts in the business and 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 all of that then i think it puts us at at real risk to be pushed even lower down in the basement if that is at all possible however if we use agile as part of our toolkit and it helps us be more efficient and we're we're not using it as a communication layer with the business but we're using it as a way to structure how we work um, and then we put a layer of communication and more human element on top of it in how we engage with our business um, colleagues then I think we have a very real opportunity to rise in the organization because we're being smarter about what we do. We're prioritizing our time. Hopefully we're using that prioritized time to develop richer, more meaningful insights. Um, we don't need to expose how we make the sausage. And, and I think that I think it's unfortunate that that is the downfall of so many organizations. And again, we're kind of talking about agile today, but this is in no way limited to agile. If we're exposing externally our processes and how we work, we're really devaluing the output of what we do. Those things should be internal to how we work, help us to work smarter, more efficient, and the proof and the interaction comes out in the value and how we engage uh, with, with our partners within the business. And if we do that right, I think, again, a huge opportunity for us to rise up in the organization if we do it wrong and we kind of put the tools first and let processes dictate how we work, um, we're, we're going we're gonna to be stuck in the basement. Mm -hmm. um, I do want to dig into other, other benefits because, like, you know, it, it's very clear, you know, just starting out this conversation, this is not a Boolean situation. It's, 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 it's not just good or just bad. It's not on or it's not off. It's it's there. There is absolutely an in between that, that you've talked about. So I do want to talk about the benefits that, that, that you've seen with it. What are some other risks we, we you know, you, we, um, that, that could come as part of this? We, you know, we just talked about like being turned into a glorified ticket takers or glorified help desk, um, stripping the curiosity out of the analysts and, you know, they just get turned into just re returning something out. Like, um, was it you and I talking about this the other day? Someone that, that we know who, like, they just, they get screamed at so much that it's just, they don't, they, they just turn stuff out, mm -hmm. you know, because they're being pushed for whatever reason to just turn stuff out, whether it's right or wrong. What are some of the other risks that, that could potentially be seen? Well, I think we hit the, hit on the big ones. Again, like destroying natural curiosity, basically turning analytics organizations into assembly lines of output. Um, you know, look how much we did, look how much we implemented, look how much data we collected, look how many reports we created. Um, it's a very, very easy trap to, to fall into. Um, and additionally, I think it takes out some of the complexity and nuance that, that analytics has. You know, we try, again, in order to try to fit what was designed to be um, a framework for doing software development, and now we're trying to mash analytics into it, 
we kind of have to bang off some of the edges because it doesn't fit, right? It's like that, that toy you had when you were a kid where you fit the shapes into the thing. And it's like, well, this doesn't fit, but if I like knock off some of these edges, it will fit in here. And that's kind of what we're doing in order to smash analytics into this framework that was developed uh, for software projects. And analytics is not a software project. Um, and so I think some of those edges that get knocked off is, is the nuance and complexity that analytics is not just about data. It's not just about statistics and mathematical formulas. It's about understanding people. It's, it's about understanding psychology and why people do what they do. It's about understanding the, the political pressures and nuances within a business and how that impacts the data that we share and, and, and offer. Um, and, and I think a lot of that gets destroyed in this process and and what ends up coming out of it again is we're it's really really good at churning out stuff but stuff that potentially is even less aligned than before with things that are actually meaningful to the business i mean once we've gone past the critical dashboards and reports that business teams need to align themselves with where they are in any given moment it's those nuances that we can provide that really help provide a stronger understanding of our customers, a stronger understanding of our products um, that often get shaved off when we try to smash analytics into a software development framework. Yeah, and one thing I want to add to, to what you've been talking about, like, um, you know, what you've been talking about has been focused like on the work, the quality of the work or the the insights that come with the the work that's done there's i've also noticed an impact to the team itself because you know analysts are not like developers they you, you have two completely different mindsets and when trying to provide um impose a development framework on top of an analyst it it, it really beats them down like it it, it um it kind of removes any kind of excitement for, for the work. It, it, it removes the fun that comes with it, you know, like, cause I've seen analysts who kind of prided themselves on like more or less being treasure hunters, mm -hmm. trying to find that nugget of information that can provide a ton of value to the organization and time boxing them and holding them to arbitrary metrics of like completing number of things in a sprint or getting something done within a certain time period, it, 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 it is demoralizing in many ways. Yeah, and this comes back to how we started the podcast with you saying I'm not a scrum master. The, what you're talking about is really the output of the quality of the scrum master you have for your program. And I, I think so many organizations look at it as a technical role. It's like, well, I'm Six Sigma 500 Black Belt Level 7 Scrum Master. Okay. Um, I don't care. Like, I, do you understand what we're trying to do as a team? And I've seen two polar opposites of this. Scrum Masters that are professional Scrum Masters that have experience running Scrums for engineering teams. 99 times out of 100 complete dumpster fire applying those to analytics programs. They have no idea what they're talking about. They're saying, well, just do this. This is how this is how software engineers do it. I'm not a software engineer. I'm an analyst. You can't treat me like a software engineer. You have to understand the nuance of my job, but they can't. They're stuck in this rigid system of, but this is how I've always done it with software engineers. And it's an absolute failure. However, on the flip side, I've seen scrum masters that have either had background in analytics 
or have been open to the fact that they don't know that have been incredible. I, I, I don't know if I can shout them out or not, but we worked with a company a couple years ago that that was absolutely the case. They had what I would call an agile light deployment in their analytics team. They hired a guy who had experience as a scrum master to you know, run the agile process. And one of the first things he said when, when I talked with him, he's like, I don't know anything about digital analytics. You know, help me, teach me, give me as much knowledge as you can. Like when I f- go off the rails, correct me. Like I wanna learn as much as I can. After six months, he was indispensable. That, that team was running like a machine. And I told him, I said, dude, if I could replicate you across every company that was running, it doesn't matter if they're running agile, if I could replicate you as a project, a project manager for analytics in every company, they would instantly be better. So it really comes down to the people oftentimes more than the actual framework or, or process. And again, if you're trying to force this to be a software project with a scrum master that thinks everyone's developers, it's a nightmare. And you know what? Your best analysts are going to quit because they don't want to be treated like that. If you have a scrum master that has experience with analytics or at least open-minded that they don't know what they don't know, it can be incredibly, incredibly useful. With most most things, it comes down to people. Yeah, and, and I, I appreciate your insight this episode because I'm just going to beat it to death this episode. I definitely came in with a particular perspective you know this is bad like this 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 could be really really bad for your team if you're considering it but yeah like you've you've kind of made me rethink my 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 perspective on it that okay maybe just my experience has been with organizations that to to use your words just copy and pasted what their development teams were doing and imposed it upon their analytics team um so as far as like the benefits go, one of the big benefits we talked about already was helping put together a, um, a really strong intake queue that helps keep the team from becoming overwhelmed and, and burdened with requests. What do you think some of the other benefits can be to applying a methodology like this to an analytics team? A lot of people in digital analytics are incredibly introverted and um, shy away from difficult conversations. And so what that means is they become not your prototypical yes man, um, but they become, um, I don't even want to say people pleasers. It's just they don't want to have to push back and say, no, I can't do that. No, I'm not going to do that. You know, No, I don't have time to do that. It's so many in digital analytics just it's uncomfortable for them to do that. But if they you just do it, they just do it. And then they get burned out and overwhelmed and they bitch about it in private, <laughs> you know, but they, they just do it because they don't want to have that, that kind of confrontation or confirm or conversation or say, you know, I'm not going to do it or push back. They just, they, 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 they really struggle with doing that. So if you can abstract them from it personally and put a framework in place, and it allows them to put points and t-shirt sizing or however we do it to project sizes, then it's not me. It's just, well, it's agile is saying I don't have time to do it. And they're so much more comfortable interacting with the system and they don't have to then go tell requester, I can't do it. I'm not going to do it. This is too difficult. It's too much time. 
They just scope it out within the system, and then the system reports back and says, okay, well, Jim can't work on it, you know, or because he's got too many other things, so, you know, what, what are we, we going to do? Do you want to delay it? Do you want to drop things he's currently working on? And you don't have to have that conversation as the digital analytics, analytics person. That's a really interesting perspective. Like, yeah. You've kind of, you've, how do I want to say it? Like you've, you've kind of opened my mind to this Uh, because again, like I, I always kind of bristle at this, but you're right. Like, even though it may seem impersonal, um, having that, that cue and the way the cue is managed can actually remove a burden from, from the team and not make it cold in a way. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And again, I think it's an important thing to to recognize. And, and I don't know why it's so specific to this industry. But again, the industry is overwhelmingly introverted, you know, anti, you know, tough conversations. You know, we, we just don't want to do it. And so um, if we can find methodologies to be able to address that without just kind of taking the burden on and kind of sacrificing ourselves because we'd rather, you know, work until two in the morning rather than to have a challenging conversation with someone in the business. And then it solves some, some very real problems that lots of analytics organizations struggle with because they just, they, again, they don't want to have those uh, perceived confrontations. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. It, it's been, th- this is, and I mean this genuinely for anybody listening. Um, like the, the, I, I came in with a different expectation for this episode. Um, I, I had my own views, but kind of talking through a few of these points, it, it, it's it's kind of given me a new perspective. Like so, it, it's made me rethink a few things instead of kind of just doing the blanket pushback. And really, that's that's a great way of defining what our role in analytics should be in general, right? Like, we should be about um, causing people to question their beliefs and stepping outside their comfort zone and questioning, you know, our own biases and experiences and saying, none of us have all the answers and we have some strong beliefs and there may be some truths to it, there may be some non-truths to it, but... The most important thing is, is that if we're going to grow as individuals and if we're going to grow as organizations, we have to be open to, you know, logically having these conversations just to question things and having the, um, what's the right word here? The strength? I don't know if strength's the right word. Um, but, but being comfortable of saying, okay, or changing your mind, you know, it's like, okay, right. You know, we, we kind of blast politicians for flip-flopping, but I think they should, we should be rewarding politicians, right? Because we don't want someone that took a stance in 1982 to necessarily have that same stance in 2023. So much has changed. They've learned. We've grown. Like times have changed. You know, we should be rewarding people that are open to to changing their stance and saying, "I thought this before. Now I think this." Um, and I think that's incredibly healthy, and that's really what we should be doing as analysts is is putting our insights out there really causing people to question things and in order to do that we have to question ourselves because we're we're just as vulnerable as anyone else to having biases and kind of locked into our way of thinking and we have to be just as open to saying well you know i'm i think really strongly about this but i'm always open to evaluating and thinking about other viewpoints and it's not boolean it's not so like either this or that it's you know somewhere in the middle it's like okay i disagree with some of that but i agree with some of this and 
we take all these ingredients and put something magical together and it's awesome yeah yeah totally totally agree with that and yeah i appreciate you kind of giving me a new way to look at that this this episode cool cool so this has been good it's it's you've actually changed my mind on something um i'll take it (laughs) yeah because i mean it's and you you kind of got me right at the beginning where you're like well you know what have you observed you know what have you observed those that just try to take agile as it's done everywhere or have they tailored it to to their team's needs and i think it's like shit yeah it's kind of hard to argue against if you haven't really you know if you've only observed it one way yeah yeah and that and that's a huge lesson not just with this topic but any of them right yeah. like this is how i observed it and and i talked about this on linkedin yesterday by the way um and there's a a great quote um i'm just going to pull it up cuz i don't want to screw it up um, there's a, there's a great, um, passage in Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance, um, that talks about this, that it, it just, it just sticks with me. And I, I think about it all the time when I find myself kind of thinking one way and not being open to anything else. Um, so the, the sentence is we take, we take a handful of sand from the endless landscape of awareness around us and call that handful of sand, the world, you know? So we're at the beach, we pick up a, a handful of sand and say, this defines everything. So think about going to the shore, right? Like picking up a handful of sand is like, this describes everything within my local. No, it literally, like I can look just down the way and see something completely different that you can't describe by that handful of sand. And so we have to be really, really careful of taking that handful of sand of our experiences and saying, this represents the entire world. And I think that's a great place to end it on. Awesome. Cool. Well, thank you much. Let's go ahead and wrap up there and talk to everyone later. See you. See you. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of 33 Tangents. If you enjoyed what you heard, please rate and review the show on your favorite podcast aggregator so others can find us. If you would like to reach us, you can do so by emailing podcast at 33sticks.com or on the web at 33tangents.33sticks.com. 33 Tangents is a production of 33 Sticks, an analytics boutique.